So we took all of our Christmas lights down. So like oh. we're officially back to quote unquote ordinary time in our house, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> there are no lights and it is so depressing. Like there's just something about having all of the Christmas lights on that just like make you happy. Sure. And then as I'm reading the Silmarillion and all I can think about is, you know, <laughs> Morgoth, he's like afraid of the light and like all of like the best way that they fight him is they like make light and there's all these lights in the skies and these lighting, these trees that give off light. And that's what make, keeps the evil at bay. And I'm like, that makes so much sense to me because like the Christmas lights just seem to like keep the like depression at bay. Yeah. And I think there's something to like the, the seasonal aspect of it as well that like, you know, and I know it's different for Christians in the Southern hemisphere and everything. Like it works differently there, but like at the same time, like realistically Christianity was originally mostly a Northern hemisphere thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like Israel is in the Northern hemisphere, although not by a ton. And then like Europe and everything. Uh, And so the idea of having these bright lights and these celebrations during the time of year when the world is its darkest, darkest, Mm. you know, like, I mean, symbolism, I I think, I think there's something Mm. there. I love it. That's fantastic. All right, let's hit an intro and get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Blue Collar Scholars. Not long ago, a group of brilliant minds met together at a pub to discuss their unfinished works. They recognize the value of coming together around delicious beverages and having meaningful conversations. That group was known as the Inklings. The Inkle Do podcast here, we're working to be the second iteration of that group. So pour yourself a craft beverage, pull up a chair, and join the conversation. All right, man, you had anything uh, good over New Year's or anything interesting? No, you know what? Honestly, like, so... New Year's Eve is becoming more and more like I I feel like not only have I always been a little bit old for my age, um, but like I feel like I'm also getting older more quickly than a year at a time at this point. And like I made it till midnight for New Year's, but not like particularly on purpose or anything. Like I didn't there wasn't anything really to it. It was more just a matter of um I happen to get distracted, like watching some shows and things like that. And yeah. like, yes, I'm still watching. Yes, I'm still watching kind of mode. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was pretty tame weekend. I had a couple more of those uh, State 48 IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just kind of confirmed what I said last week. I like their hazy a lot better. Their, um, their standard IPA is just kind of blah like it's just yeah it's just standard that's a really that's a better way to put it Mm because saying it's blah makes it sound like there was um, something wrong with it and there's not it just i don't know uh it it did it did its job but it didn't do anything else yeah yeah there's not nothing good about the bare minimum right like i don't know i don't know nice okay all right yeah, I actually had like a couple of good ones, so I'm I'm gonna go into story time here. So like, so I was at New Year for New Year's Eve. Like, we go over to our friend's house and we play it super cool. Like, we do like a, a countdown on TV at like nine o'clock, and then yeah, we're the at actual home. New York ball yeah, drop. Like, screw staying up till midnight, man. And plus, we got all the kids and everything. But we go over to my buddy Matt's, and he's a big whiskey guy. A bourbon and 
I don't know all the differences yet. But he, right. he was like giving me, so he had like the fancy little cup and was like giving me a couple of different samples. And like one was angel something, rye, angel hair, angel wings. I don't know. A- angels, uh, uh, angels envy. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Where it's actually got like little wings on the bottle. Yep. Type of, yep. Yep. And so there was that one, and then there was another one that they put on, like, boats, and then they, like, ship the boat around, and that, the cast, it's supposed to taste different if the if it was at sea for this long, whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, it, I've had that one, too. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, but it was interesting for me because normally whiskey, again, like, I taste it, it's just too much, right? And that's like mm-hmm. anything, coffee, when you start drinking coffee, it's just like, blech, right? Like, it just yeah. tastes, whatever. Wine was the same way. I was like, all I taste is tannins. <laughs> Whiskey is just like, all I taste is just like alcohol, right? But I sat there and I just sniffed these individual, like the, I had two little samples and I just like kept smelling it and smelling it for a lot, way longer than a normal person would because it it just took my brain so long to process the information. Cause you know, like your senses, they normalize, right? So like they will... Whatever is the strongest, your brain will start to filter that out after you experience it enough times, right? Just like you go into a stinky bathroom and then after a couple minutes, it doesn't stink anymore. Yeah. Because your brain has started filtering that out. It's like, ah, we don't need this anymore. And and so that's what it did. And I was like, oh, this one smells like like vanilla, like when I cook. And this one's, and I was like, oh, and this one smells like caramel. Like, like, this is crazy. And I was like, I think I just needed a lot longer to process the information so that I could get yeah. past that, that like alcohol and get to the flavors. And I was like, this is actually really interesting because there were there were flavors to it. So I was super excited about that. So that was a lot of fun. Then on New Year's Day, man, I friggin' I cooked a steak that that changed my life. Like it was oh, like God. one of the, so my daughter bought me a, a cast iron griddle Ooh, and it was, nice. it was raining. like, I'm normally like, Oh, you grill steaks on the grill. Like that's where you cook a steak. But everybody on TV, like all the shows I watch, all the chefs I watch, all cook them in cast iron skillets. Yep. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, I mean, obviously there's something to it. So we cooked these ribeyes on the skillet and it was like perfectly rendered and crusty all over the place. And then we opened up a Cabernet, um, a 2020. It, w- it was sextant, you know, like the the navigation device. Sure. Sextant, Cabernet Sauvignon, 2020, and it was like heaven. Like it was just, just pure one of, harmony. It was so so right. And so like it was just one of those things where it was like an. Uh, the label didn't give me any tasting notes, but it was like, hey, we use these old world grapes and this new world terroir. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting to me. But I normally don't like California wines because they're like super sweet and syrupy. And this one didn't have that. It was like really balanced, but still had enough tannins to hold up to the, the fatty meat. And it was just like two glasses of wine and a huge ribeye was, I, I don't need much more than that to be happy. You know, that's fair. Like no, no, it was so good. I, I see no nits worth picking in that. I'll no. be honest. That sounds. Oh God. And I just like every, and this is my, one of my goal. I don't want to like talk about my goals because I've learned that like the more I talk about my goals, the like less they happen. It's really weird. But one of my, my goals for this year is to um, 
have more like experiences like when you cook something and you're just like freaking hey that was good you know yeah. or like what what was it once upon a time in mexico johnny depp's character he's like this is so good i'm actually going to walk into the kitchen and shoot the chef so that i can and you're like wait what hang on and he's like this is the best ever <laughs> and and it was a really ridiculous scene but uh like that's just all i could think about it's like i want to have these experiences where it's just like this is so good i want like i don't know what to do with myself in response yeah. to how delicious this is so that's my goal for I, 2023 I, I love that goal that's a goal i firmly support <laughs> man so we'll have you over for some of those hope well hopefully we'll get to some of those like you might be in some of the transitionary you know like hey i tried this it sucked we'll learn you know <laughs> so you know what man i i am uh i'm pretty good at being along for both parts of that ride <laughs> deal deal oh all right so we talked last week a little bit about heresy to a degree but now i'm, I'm like struggling to catch exactly why we were going to go down the heresy kind of because we were talking about the the gnostics no, and like yeah, the yeah, gnostic yeah, yeah. gospels and yes. like how like we're we can certainly read those as long as we read them aware of like what they are and that kind of stuff right Right. And so I thought it would be interesting to dig into heresy a little bit more because I think there's like you gave that example of your your buddy who asked you, like, am I allowed to read this? And that there's like fear around these things. And then, you know, like I I love the early church history and the way that heresy and heretics, the way they were treated was um, violence. Yeah. Uh, you know, like very like. They were very okay with, you know, killing the body to save the soul type of a thing. You know, like it was mobs in Rome. Like they were legit. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. No, no. Like full on the idea of like viewing the heretic as like a cancerous cell in the body, which must be removed for the yeah. sake of the rest of the body. Yeah. And yeah. so so the, it's right that we have this um, leeriness as we approach these things. But I, I think it might be worth also just kind of talking more about just like what is a heretic. Like if you sure. say this thing, because like again, like I'm going through all this development and like I'm working on my own thoughts and my own readings and these things. And you're always like, okay, am, we always have the Bible, right? Always check it against that. Like that's going to be something that we always go back to. Like, yes. Does the Bible verify it? Cool. Let's go on from there. Yeah. And then, you know, so – because we don't really hear about heretics or heresy right now anymore. Sure. It seems it, like. It's it's fairly, like, anymore, it feels like for the most part, if someone's being called a heretic, they're engaged in some niche Twitter war. Yeah, like, yeah. Between other members of the same faith. Um, and I think, so part of that is because um, we don't hear about people being heretics too much anymore for the same reason that we don't hear the word orthodox used a whole lot anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that culturally we give the same weight to the idea of um, real right belief truths. Yeah. Like actual right belief. Like yeah. what I believe, like when we talk about something being true for the most part, we have to clarify if we mean this is something that is like actually 
really true as opposed to just saying i truly believe this thing mm-hmm. um and like yeah yeah there does I think, uh, seem to be like this cultural like approach to my own truth my own reality like what sure. i like whereas like in the beginning of the church it was like i don't care nobody cares what you like we want the absolute like we want that next level that can apply to everything so you're not going to have heresy all that much because it's like, oh, it's true for me. Exactly. Yeah. And I think so, um, you know, Chesterton, who is my favorite author, he wrote a book called Heretics um, where he kind of went through like his contemporaries explaining who they were, generally speaking, speaking about them in glowing terms of admiration for their intellect and for the things that they said that were true and that were correct. Um, but ultimately still coming back to the conclusion that they're heretics. And here's why mm. here's where, uh, what they say. And again, heresy and orthodoxy are the, the two opposing forces and orthodoxy literally means right teaching, which means heresy is going to be a false teaching, a wrong, teaching. wrong teaching. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, but one of the things he talked about even back then, and this is like late 1800s. So it's not a Was totally, he that far back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was like the generation before uh, Tolkien and Lewis. Lewis. Wow. Okay. Like he I don't was, think I realized he was that far back. Yeah. Well, so he was very prolific and kept going for quite a while. I think he was still going into the, like the the nineteen teens. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, he even back then though he was writing about the idea that like kind of going back to what you said. Yes, we can acknowledge that it is probably not right to burn a man at the stake in a town square mm-hmm. for for his beliefs about the universe. But he said, like, any more in the modern era, as he was describing it, there was a tendency to do something far more ridiculous, which was to pretend that a man's beliefs about the universe were unimportant. And that's kind of... Mm. ultimately where we're at now like your opinion about everything matters except for your opinion about everything like a a a person's opinion about politics or a person's opinion about sports or government or war or military or any of those kinds of things all of those opinions incredibly important in evaluating this person however their underlying beliefs about the entirety of the universe and how it functions and its purpose, that doesn't matter. And he said that, and it hasn't become less true in the century or so since, where we still, you know, obviously we think people's opinions matter. That's why we yell and scream at each other over them. But we're not prepared to consider the root of where these opinions are coming from. We're not willing to look at uh, kind of just tracing things back to where we do have some common ground so that we can actually have a discussion um, as opposed to just sort of, again, trying to shout each other down over something. But I think a big part of it too, though, is this idea that there is like a, uh, there's like a, a weird sense of sort of like pride or accomplishment in being a heretic. Like the idea of being a heretic means that you are a free thinker, not 
controlled by anyone else's opinions and these kinds of things. Like you're the theologian and, with a leather jacket type of a thing, like the, yeah. the James Dean of theology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> honestly. Um, yeah, that kind of a, an idea, or not even necessarily of theology, but of like the view of the world, mm-hmm. you know, even a lot of philosophers, and this was one of the other things Chesterton pointed out, is that, you know, throughout the Middle Ages, no heretic would have ever taken pride in being called one. They they were burned while insisting they were the ones who were orthodox and that the rest of the world were the heretics, even if they were on their own. Right. They were the ones who were orthodox. Um, and the idea of taking pride in our... Um, Willingness to break from from truth is an incredibly dangerous thing. Yeah, and, and that this is why this yeah. is why to me I think it's so important to kind of distinguish between um, two different kind of categories of heretic. You know, there's what I would call kind of what we generally think of when we picture a heretic or when people are using the word to call someone this as an insult now. Mm-hmm. You're talking about someone who is sort of in an act of uh, self-centered, grandiose uh, delusions, trying to put themselves forward as, you know, this breaker of all that has once bound us and held us back. And look at me. I am the model. I am the arbiter of truth and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you encounter someone like that, the best thing you can do is turn around and go about your day. Yeah. Like... At that point, there's really not a whole lot of reason to engage or anything to be benefited from. But on the other hand, there's like what you were talking about with the early days of the church and the encounters with heresy, where there's a a sort of a humble heretic. Mm-hmm. They're not making these claims for their own sake. They're making these claims because, based on their understanding at this time at least, right. this is what is true, and it's an important thing to be put out there. Right. They're using and, and applying their reason, mm-hmm. and, and they believe. Whole, and that's why like I, I feel like it's super interesting in the, the humble heretic piece because – the discovery of truth, right? Like we we got the full revelation in Jesus, like you said last week. But like, there's a lot that we're we didn't capture then, right? And that we need to pass on for the next generation. And so like we're gonna keep learning and growing and all of these things. And so like that that battle is kind of good, you know. And, and it makes me think of the humble heretic. Makes me think of C.S. Lewis, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and the End Times. Right. There's the Mm -hmm. one guy from the the other army, the other army. I can't remember their name, but he he's like genuinely seeking truth. He he believes in the other God, you know, the dark God, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. He's a follower, but he's like genuinely pursuing the truth and trying to do his best in that situation. And he finds himself in the land with Aslan. Right. And you're like, okay, well, how did the bad guy end up in the good place? Because of the genuine pursuit of truth. And so, like, there were probably people who were, you know, I'm I'm not the judge of mankind, but there's probably people who truly believed that what they were reasoning and what they were pushing for was the truth. And when we get into heaven, they might be there, right? Yeah. Because they were they were applying their logic, applying their reason. They were doing it from a genuine position. They just firmly believed that what 
they thought was the truth and what the other person thought was not. And that genuine pursuit of truth ultimately leads to good. Absolutely. And again, that that sincerity, that genuineness Mm -hmm. of it is what's so key for us to remember, even as we discuss the heresies, you know, is this idea that, you know, there is still reason to hope that when they came face to face with truth itself at their final judgment, um, that they recognized it. Yeah. You know, because I mean, there's, there is an absolutely, uh, 0% chance that at the end of my time on earth, I am going to have been a hundred percent right about Jesus Christ right. and about God and about what he wanted for me. Right. Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hope is that I have been pursuing him truly and humbly enough that I've at least had the outline of who it is I'm seeking such that when I come face to face with him, I recognize that. And I realize, and again, the humility is going to be so key being able to acknowledge that the parts are my outline and what I'm encountering and in heaven don't match up. It's my outline that is wrong. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that this is actually, this is the full picture. This is what's correct. And I think that's kind of the key difference, too, is this idea of, you know, because there have been heretics who reconcile into the church, mm-hmm. ones who taught something that was contrary to the church teaching or contrary to what became defined as church teaching, because as we'll talk about, that's one of the major uh, blessings that has come out of heresy. But once the the teaching is proclaimed and they come to understand it, they recognize it and submit to it. And so they have that humility to recognize the truth when it's presented to them. Yeah, that um, that's that was going to be my next kind of question is, so, you know, now, right, Rome is pretty structured, mm-hmm. you know, but in the early church, you had the five patriarchs, right? And it was sure. kind of a diaspora, like the bishops were not emailing in, right? Like it was yeah. spread out. And so, like, you do have people like, like Arius didn't, change like he no. didn't reconcile and so like how do we come to understand that like are we to be like oh well everybody got together they made the decision guided by the holy spirit we believe that the councils were guided by that they chose not to so then is that dude out then like is he like not gonna be in heaven i mean obviously we're not the judges of men but yeah men's souls but like, is that kind of the thought process for for it? They've definitely put themselves at risk. Like that, and putting themselves at risk is kind of as far as I can go. That's fair. Because it would, they because have- That's the reju- thing, right? Like the reason why heresy is such a big deal is because it's pertaining to your everlasting soul. Exactly. And so this idea of, um, like, yeah, there's still the possibility that when- you know, Arius found himself facing his final judgment and came face to face with Christ. Uh, there's the possibility that it was like, oh, okay, I was wrong. Right. So be it. This, you are what I was seeking. I just misunderstood what I was seeking. Or he had hardened his heart so hard in yeah. in conflict to the truth that once he looks Christ in the face, he would choose to separate because he's hardened himself. Exactly. And so it's kind of one mm. of those things like to, to what extent um, did it become for him 
And to what extent did it remain a genuine seeking for truth? And to what extent did it become a um, angry, embittered, spiteful thing? Resen- I was thinking power-driven resentment, all of those things that kind yeah. of poison the soul. Because to a certain extent, when we look at what happened with Arianism, uh, and so again, Arius himself is not like the only one to have, he wasn't right. even really the first one to put forward the ideas right. or anything like that. He just became the poster child, <laughs> um, which at some points worked really well for him at other parts, not so much, you know, in an earthly sense, I'm confident right. that from a heavenly sense, it never worked out for him. <laughs> but regardless, uh, like when you look at it though, a lot of the way it played out, played out like someone who was playing the game of earthly politics. Mm. And I don't, I don't think it started that way, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think to a certain extent he could reasonably come to the embittered feeling that the reason he was declared the heretic and lost out was not a Holy spirit driven thing. And was an emperor Constantine driven thing. Yeah. Like it, I mean, once you've got an emperor involved in the process, it would be, it would be a totally natural human reaction to be like, uh, not necessarily doubting God, but to doubt the faithfulness of the people involved in the process. Yeah. Cause one of them is a politician. Um, and a lot of them pushed their orthodoxy to try to gain or their, their yeah, their orthodoxy, that's the right word, to gain favor with the emperor, right? Like sure. they were trying to, it was just like now where we are trying to, are you a blue state or are you a red state? Like, are you, is Rome going to be orthodox or are they going to be Aryan? You know, like it was very much, very similar to like how we view our politics in the red and blue now, like orthodoxy was kind of the red and blue then yeah um and so like it if their reason for rejecting it is because they were genuinely still seeking truth and just had not encountered the truth in such a way as to be convincing to them then hopefully when they come face to face with it they're fully convinced and entered in Mm -hmm. but if they have instead become convinced that they are the arbiters of truth that they're the ones who decide then yeah, the in the encounter with Christ does not guarantee them. Right, and that that's heaven. That kind of connects back to something that we said a, uh, a while back. I'm not sure, not too far back, but but that the Holy Spirit doesn't work in isolation. Right, truth isn't in isolation. So like, you might receive special revelation. Like, I am not sure. going to say that there's not a single person that doesn't receive special revelation. The thing is, though, is that your special revelation won't be by itself if it's from God, right? So, like, if yeah. and I, I made the Mormon joke about the, you know, the golden dishes or whatever mm-hmm. he got. Like, if if you're like, oh, I got the special revelation, so now I'm important, right? And I'm now elevated because God has elevated me above all of you. Then you can be pretty safe that like either God did give you revelation and you sinned the crap out of it or yeah. you did not receive God's special revelation. Like it would well, happen again. for the benefit of the community, right? Because we're driving the church. Like it's a church is a body. So you receive special at special revelation to edify the body of Christ, not to elevate yourself. Right. So if, if it doesn't like spread out and lift, you know, like the tide lifting all boats, then you need to question it. Well, and also the idea too of, uh, 
if there is the general revelation for all and the specific revelation for you, mm. which one checks which? Oh, crap. That's because, like, that, that's a big part of it, is this idea of, like, if I believe that I've gotten some special revelation, but in some way it contradicts or is contrary to the general revelation that God has given mm-hmm. to all people, then either it is not of God or I have misunderstood it. Right. Or, you know because what? Yeah, keep going. Sorry. It's not going to contradict. God's not going to contradict himself. Right. So, like, uh, there isn't um, there isn't any special revelation I could get from God that would allow me to, in good faith, deny mm-hmm. the divinity of Christ, for right. example. Right. Like, if I were to get some special revelation from God that really uh, emphasized his humanity or something like that, that could totally be possible, but the moment that it becomes contrary to that general revelation, I'm out. Like yeah. that—that that means I have. It's either not of God, or I've misunderstood it, misinterpreted it, yeah. or am misusing it. Yeah, and, and you know, so my brain jumped somewhere else when you gave that general and specific revelation comment. Is that like I wonder how many people got a specific revelation? as it applies to you as a person, as an individual, and then tried to apply it universally to everybody. You know, oh, absolutely. You know, like sometimes, you know, God is calling me to, you know, like cook food. That doesn't mean that all of the church must now cook food for other people because that is a divine revelation that says you must do this or you're sick. You know, like I, that was a terrible analogy but i couldn't think no, of anything not, good actually. but it, but it's that's specific to me god is calling me to serve people through food because that's what i'm good at that doesn't mean that the whole church has to do it exactly the way that i am called to do it absolutely and i i want uh one of us needs to make sure we put this in on like our, our show notes for future reference because i want to come back to this because i think that's ultimately kind of where we see the the program driven church coming from if someone has some experience that really helps them in their faith and their relationship with God and becomes convinced that this is what everyone needs to be doing at all times in all places. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's where we end up with all of these programs that start off doing pretty well. And there's a lot of enthusiasm behind them. But then ultimately we find out that programs aren't the solution because only Christ can be. Right, right, right. So heading into uh life lessons what would you uh what would you wrap this up into just kind of I think I'm going to go back to that idea of the humble heretic um mm-hmm. because I think you know while it will never ever be my goal to be a heretic my best chance at avoiding that is the humble part of it yeah um yeah. because again the heretics actually they pushed forward the conversation a lot with the church they helped bring about their mm-hmm. desire for truth brought about questionings of things that had been taken for granted yeah, and brought a, gr- a great deal of clarity to these topics that would have never happened yeah. if there hadn't been someone asking the question and seeking the truth on it. And so I want to take that as kind of my model moving forward is to um, seek what is good, to seek what is true, to ask questions, but not to assume that I have the answer. Still to be willing to like present things is like, this Mm -hmm. is kind of how Mm -hmm. I see it at this point, but always with that humility that says, but if I, if evidence is provided that I am wrong, 
I need to accept that evidence. Right. Yeah. I like that. I think that humility piece is big. And I think it kind of connects into my my thoughts here is that as I was listening to you talk about, um, you know, the the truth that people apply to the their understanding of the universe doesn't matter. I just felt sad um, and kind of icky because like we don't pursue real truth, like absolute mm. truth. Like we're so afraid to say, no, 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 I believe this is absolute. It's just like, no, this is what's right for me. And I think what we, I think we're missing something there and that it, this faith that we pursue in Christ is not a personal belief, right? This is an absolute truth that applies to the all of creation. And so, and, and it impacts, as I said, our everlasting soul. So this is serious business. This isn't just like, oh, you, you call it the universe, I'll call it God, and we're both happy. No, no, this is, we're talking absolutes here. And the pursuit of something absolute is, is vital and important. And that's where, I, you know, like I want us to go after that. And that's mm-hmm. where that humility piece comes in is that like we're, we're not going to know everything. Like don't be afraid of heresy because you're humble and coachable and, and willing to adjust and learn and change. But just the, the return to the eternal stakes of, of our conversation is what makes it meaningful, yeah. right? Absolutely. Right? So that's kind of my thought. Well, and I think it ties in so closely, too, with that whole idea of, you know, when Christ talked about the fool who builds their house without having set the foundation mm-hmm. or building a, a house on a foundation of sand and all these kinds of things. If I don't have some kind of an ultimate guiding principle for all of the specific choices that I'm making, I have no reason to believe that it will all actually be building towards the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it'll just get washed away. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. That felt good. That's good. It's interesting how, like, again, like, you don't want to go into, quote, unquote, the dark side. But when you're considering both sides, like, you, it feels like weighing both options, like, you, you can, it's that firm foundation. Like, you're not just blindly mm. l- believing what everybody tells you. Like, you, you know it then by by looking yeah. at both sides. So that's that's the benefit of having history books, right? And looking back in the historical perspective of the church. So So, happy new year by the way everybody. Uh we were we are still here. We're still roasting coffee. Uh AJ's rocking the rad Raptor Juice shirt. It's so awesome. I, I do love like it. it a lot. Um <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to go back. I can't remember what episode it is. I think I put it in on like the description of the shirt, but it's like it's fantastic. It was a great episode. Um, but yeah, so if, if you'd like a Raptor Juice shirt, they're online. But also, you know, just to fuel your new year, everybody's got new goals, new visions, trying to make the most of this year. We would love to support that with some delicious coffee. Uh, so just hop on that inkledew.com shop, and uh, we'd love to roast you some fresh coffee and ship it out to you and, and help it any way we can, hopefully with meaningful conversations and coffee. Got anything else on your brain, man? 
Not a thing. Right on, right on. With that, everybody, we will say adieu.